0: Before any of that, we're going to kick things off um, as we do every day with our afternoon update, catching you up on all that has happened today, all these stories that matter most. And joining me for the afternoon update today, uh, Larry Donnelly, a director of the Kennedy Summer School and a law lecturer at the University of Galway and Kevin Doyle, a group head of news at Media House. Uh, you're both very welcome. Uh, Kevin, you're a Liverpool fan.
1: I am. Yes. I, so
0: a I tough remember. day for you.
1: I'm in mourning, I'm wearing my black like, yeah, like everybody well, else Well,
0: really, you, you showed remarkable uh, courage to come into studio today. It,
1: it, well, it gave me a few moments of solace to walk across town on my own with my thoughts and, and to, you know, remember the last decade of Jorgen Klopp. In Liverpool. Um, I'm not in that boat of people who are struggling with their life today, I have to be honest. Some some of your colleagues are embarrassing
0: themselves on social media now, I have to say.
1: Well, in, in the Irish Independent, we do, you know, the media is always accused of being biased no matter what you do, right? But there is definitely a Liverpool bias in the Irish Independent because our office is absolutely infiltrated with supporters of Liverpool. Names of people that your listeners might know, um, Kieran, the likes of Charlie Weston, our, our personal finance editor, right, Adrian yeah. Weckler, the tech editor, Hugh O'Connell, the deputy political editor. Like it goes right to the highest level, <laughs> this Liverpool <laughs> bias uh, within the Irish Independent. And so there is a very sombre mood uh, over in the office today. Now it is. I mean, st- standing back from
0: all of it, it is kind of remarkable um how this is being treated, I guess, compared to other managers leaving their role. Well, because most managers are sacked when things are not going well, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's... Football is in many ways like politics. Um, You usually leave in defeat or disgrace. And um, Jorgen Klopp has managed not to do that if he had left last season. You could argue that he left in defeat. They are top of the league at the moment. They're still, I think, in for four trophies. Um, He's suggesting that everybody get on board now to try and get at least some of those before the season is out. So by announcing it now, he's announcing it at a high point. And he has won everything that there is to win with Liverpool, which, if you are like me, a Liverpool supporter in your late 30s, was a new experience. Because the great Liverpool of old, anyone who is under mid-40s, fifty. Um, don't remember any of that. So Jorgen Klopp is the only one that has brought us glory. Yeah. Uh, one listener pointing out Alex, Alex Ferguson of course uh, left with his
0: uh, head held high. He but certainly after did. after a
1: huge boardroom rouse it has to be said there was a lot of talk about Alex Ferguson leaving and it was known for quite a while that there was a lot of to and fro there was a threat to leave before he actually left so it didn't quite like today, where this just dropped out of the clear blue sky, the Alex Ferguson thing was teed up. Well, and also he he had got he had announced his retirement
0: and then announced an extension. He was going to stay on for mm-hmm. one more season, so it was much more protracted. Which Top
1: has clearly said today he won't do, and of course, touch wood. But after Alex Ferguson left. Good God, but where have United been since? It was an utter disaster for them. Larry, is this how you felt a couple of weeks ago when Bill Belichick walked away from the New England Patriots?
2: I, I, yeah, I was just You gonna, still have that hollow feeling inside. I was inside. just to raise the point. There's an awful lot to what you both say about going out on top. Uh, the reality is that uh, we lost Bill Belichick, you know, the, the coach of the New England Patriots who brought us to heights uh, nobody ever perceived before. I mean, arguably the greatest coach in the history of the National Football League in the United States. Um, and to go that far, but what happened was, you know, his last season or his last two seasons, the Patriots were uh, a real disappointment, and there was a sentiment that it was time for him to go. So, as much as we all, um, you know, regret his his leaving, and uh, I suppose salute his career, uh, he went at a low point as opposed to uh, Klopp, who was going out on a high. And I think there's an awful lot to be said mm. for walking away while you're still on top. A, the Bill Belichick example, Kevin, is is more like Arsene Wenger. Now,
0: didn't leave in disgrace, but leaves kind of slightly after he should have.
2: Yes, yes. And, I, you know, I think the one thing to to say is that, you know, I say arguably uh, Bill Belichick, you know, a lot of people would have said that he was the best coach in the history of the National Football League. But he had the enormous benefit and I think, the last couple of years where he didn't have him. He had the enormous benefit of the of having coached the best person to ever put on a football uniform in the United States, Tom Brady. Yeah, uh, the last but obvious point maybe on that, though, Karen, as well, when
1: we talk about Klopp and people who don't follow football are probably looking at this today going... Mostly men, let's be honest, in Ireland have lost their minds over over a 56-year-old man taking early retirement on a massive <laughs> amount yeah, of A 56-year-old money. multi-millionaire. But, yeah, <laughs> deciding early. that he's run out of energy. But but there was a certain decency that you don't see. Football is pantomime now as well. Klopp seems quite different than Pep Guardiola or Jose Mourinho or all these guys that have kind of built personalities and, and kind of... Um, Loud talk off the back. He always seemed to have that decency. We saw the video over Christmas with that chap. I think from Monaghan. Dara. Uh, yep. He's
0: going Danny. to be joining us in the show in a few minutes. Oh, time. There you
1: go. Well, let's. I mean, he can probably sum up the human side for better than me. But I think that's a reason as well. It's not just the football and the fact that he's had success. It's that actually at the back of it, nice guys can win. Yeah,
2: it seems to have been a genuinely, yeah, be a genuinely class act. And I think that's probably part of why people are so emotional about his going.
0: Well, you just had to work today. Poor Dara was in school when he heard this news today. So we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. Um, Time the man isn't dead, Lord above says one listener, but somebody else says, (laughs) I was in work earlier in a meeting. I had four missed calls from my husband. I thought a horrific accident had befallen (laughs) somebody in the family. Uh, Even worse. Even worse than a horrific accident that Jurgen Klopp uh, had resigned. Anyway, we're going to talk uh, to Phil Thompson in a few minutes' time. I mentioned Derek Orman as well. Uh, People would have seen that video. Uh, Martina Cox as well. Uh, Sean Cox, uh, after that awful um, incident that befell him. uh, And he's still dealing with the consequences the whole family are. Jurgen Klopp is very, very good to that family uh, too. So that's coming up in a few minutes' time. 087-1400-106, the number. um, The uh, ICJ, the International Court of Justice, Kevin, what have they ruled today in relation to this uh, South African case against Israel?
1: Well, the simplest way to probably sum it up is that there's two effective outcomes. One is that they haven't uh, ruled that there is genocide happening here, but they have decided to continue their investigation or their hearings into that. And then, but they have, I suppose, more devastatingly from an Israeli point of view is they delivered a pretty hard hitting um rebuke to Israel and basically have given them a number of orders which the court demands they they um they allow now, including um allowing proper humanitarian assistance into Gaza and to basically not stop. There's no call for a ceasefire, but there is call, I think, to to ease up and to take real measures to prevent civilian deaths. I don't think is to be honest there's a lot been made out of this. Not a lot has changed from this morning because Israel will say that they're already taking measures not to
2: target mm. uh, civilians.
0: Well, I was going to ask that, Larry, what's the, the practical import of this?
2: Yeah, and that, that's, you know, it's a tricky question to ask because I think no doubt that there is import to this decision in, in terms of Israel, in terms of its standing In the world, Uh, I think the genocide matter was always going. That's going to take years to have an ultimate determination on. Uh, But uh, it did fall short of saying there needs to be an immediate ceasefire. So yes, there's a rebuke here to Israel. But uh, at the end of the day, Israel was already something of a pariah in the international community. Uh, We already heard reaction from one minister who said, "Hag Schmeg was his reaction to it. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has indicated that he is not going to abide by uh, any of the, the uh, I suppose, provisional orders uh, that have been issued. So has it changed things at all, really, on the ground for the people who are affected by this, by the horrible mm. stuff we're seeing every day? Has it changed that? I'm afraid it hasn't.
0: I guess the only way it might would be if the more vocal supporters of Israel would have their minds changed. So the likes of the United States or Germany um, or the UK, and there's no suggestion or there's no indication that that is happening on foot of this, is there?
2: I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not so sure. I, j- I just don't think that'll happen. I can certainly speak from the United States point of view, and that. that Uh, In essence, there has always been suspicion of international law, the International Court of Justice. It brings me back almost – sadly, I don't say this glibly uh, to my days as a law student where I said I was very interested in taking international law. And a seasoned, cynical law professor said to me, why would you take a subject that when we don't like what what it says, we just ignore it? And and that really brings back to when I saw the reaction of the Israeli government. And I'm somebody who respects the rule of law. The rule of law means a huge amount. But I expect to see it flouted here. And that's not to diminish the significance of what happened today, but that is the reality.
0: Well, are there likely to be any serious conversations around cabinet tables or within the Biden administration about this ruling, for example? I mean, does this have, does, does this have any consequence to them no, and the only on foreign the, policy?
2: The, the only discussions around the Biden administration are what this means for his re-election. That's it, full stop. And I, I understand people will be disappointed to hear that, but that's the reality. Um
0: in a kind of not unrelated uh, matter, it might sound unrelated on the face of it, uh, uh, Kevin, but uh, the Euro song is uh, happening tonight. Uh, Ireland picking, it's beginning of the process of picking its Eurovision entry. And there are suggestions from some, there are calls from some people participating in it that Israel should be excluded from the competition. This comes uh, hot on the heels of a number of basketballers on the women's international team saying they're not going to play in an upcoming fixture and calling on Basketball Ireland uh, to, to boycott it as well. I mean, much like the ruling of the ECJ, you wonder what practical import any of this has. Certainly it doesn't look like Israel are going to be kicked out of the Eurovision.
1: No, we've had this with Russia to some extent before and now Israel. There have been petitions for Israel to leave. But the European broadcasters who host the Eurovision um, show no inclination to do that. It's quite interesting. I was surprised we had Erica Cody on the front of the paper today, one of the favourites to win in the the Euro song tonight. And... Her quotes were very strong which was basically I don't stand behind genocide and she was calling for Israel to be expelled which is an interesting starting point if you're going to be the Irish carrying the tricolour on behalf of Ireland over there that basically that would be what you are saying. Now most people in this country might agree with her. I just thought it was interesting that she wasn't afraid to say it in advance of the competition tonight. RTE, worth noting um, have rejected calls for Ireland to just pull out of the competition and protest altogether. Their their argument being that the Eurovision has always been and will always be non political, yeah. and therefore that they shouldn't get involved in politics. So it looks like we will be sending somebody, um, but it does look like a number of the acts in the shake up tonight uh, might have very strong views in Israel. Will be a story at the Eurovision, no doubt.
0: Uh, Larry, the kind of the very rational side of my brain says, uh, you know, these. Boycotts. I mean, if they're not going to achieve anything, what is the point uh, in them? At the same time, you know, and I said this yesterday on the show, I'm just repeating myself, but we do remember... Tony Ward and Moss Keane and all of those players who were involved in the Irish rugby team in the early 80s refusing to go to South Africa. You know, the same accusation would have been made at the time. This is not going to bring an end to apartheid. We do remember them as kind of the heroes of that story, as being on the right side of history.
2: Yeah, I'm 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 torn in the very same way myself. I'm instinctively uh, opposed or I should say reticent about boycotts. But uh, as you say, boycotts have achieved uh, a lot on, on the other hand, and unless I'm wrong, I, I believe Russia is is prohibited from taking part in Eurovision on foot of uh, its incursion in the Ukraine. Uh, I think some advocates for the uh, barring Israeli pa- uh, participation uh, have some, some merit to the argument on foot of that, again, in light of what we see every day uh, in Gaza. So. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very very difficult one, but it's where this these in the intersection between politics, showbiz, sport, etc. It's a very very difficult area.
1: I would think, Karen, there's an argument for flipping this because if you look at what happened with Ukraine winning the Eurovision, which OK, you can argue the merits of the song and I, I, I'm no <laughs> Louis Walsh to decide these things. Yeah, but I, I okay, don't yeah. think it would have won in any other year if we're really honest with ourselves. <gasps> uh, and that's how that played Scramble. out. So in some ways, is it not more embarrassing or more of a setback for Israel to let them enter? And they have won it in the past and international and that um, let them enter and let them come last. Is that not a, a and bigger?
2: Yeah. And, and the other thing here is you're, you're often and this particularly comes. Would the they platform, though? probably Sentiment across Europe is not sentiment in Ireland. No, true enough. And and I mean, you often wonder, you know, when you you say a country can't participate, I mean, you know, it's an awful lot to say the country because the individual participants might feel very, very differently about these issues than their government does. And you know, they might have worked very hard and they might have a message to send and all that sort of thing. So that's why it is so complicated. Yeah, I
0: do. It is one aspect of this whole broader debate and discussion and commentary around Gazette that I, I kind of find there's an incongruity, you know, people are very quick to say, you know, um, you know ha- Palestinians and, and Gazans are not Hamas, you know, one is not the other. Yet we kind of do like the IDF is all of Israel. In a yeah. way, you know what I mean? We don't allow for the, the reality that there are people in Israel who are not supportive and, and of what's this, happening. This
2: is precisely why I, for instance, was so opposed to the letter that was published in the Irish Times by and signed off on by a lot of my colleagues uh, about alliances between Irish and, and Israeli universities, when in fact, some of the biggest and most prominent voices of dissent are coming for those universities. So again, I don't think any of this stuff is black and white. It's gray. And in that vein, I'm hesitant to be heavy handed one side or the other.
0: Uh, if the Eurovision is non-political, why was Russia thrown out of it? Double standards, uh, says one listener. And South Africa's case to the uh, international court has been a disaster. As they couldn't even get a ceasefire. Ireland shouldn't have anything to do with it, uh, one listener uh, suggests. Uh, 087-1400-106. Listen, before you go, I do want to mention a story we're coming back to after five o'clock. Uh, it's vaping. and My kind of continual campaign to get stories from the Kilkenny people uh, <laughs> onto the show. But the reason I brought it up uh, amongst the team here on the hard shoulder is because I suspect what is true in Kilkenny is true of every corner in the country and they did a survey it was kind of fascinating about only about four years ago 60% of the litter that was picked up in the street was smoking or vape related they did the survey again recently 90% of it Kevin, and it's not because more people are smoking. Let's put it that way.
1: Well, Kieran, every corner in the country. It's funny you should say that because I've done my own little piece of unscientific oh, research. Wow, here we go. Well, that's my <laughs> favourite. Forget the scientific stuff. <laughs> um, I, I, I walked over from from Talbot Street on the north side over here to your Ivory Tower on the south side of <laughs> Dublin City, <laughs> looking at my feet the whole way over because um, to, on the back of this story, which you sent me, and surprisingly, I saw no vapes, <gasps> but. I was actually shocked by the amount of cigarette butts that were there. Now, obviously, I'm going through Dublin City Centre. There's outside a lot of pubs and all the rest of it. I actually couldn't believe, and obviously I don't notice this because it's not an an unusual walk for me to make. The amount of cigarette butts genuinely shocked me that was on the street, that obviously we walk past every day and don't even register them in our minds. Not vaping, and that's why I wonder in what Kilkenny County Council did, is there places where younger people gather? Are these in mm. parks? Um, I suspect maybe the city centre is not where teenagers are standing around smoking and disposing of of vapes. But certainly anyway, my little unscientific survey showed up that, yes, I would say 90% of the litter I saw on the See, way the here sticker, was cigarette
0: butts. Stickers on the bins, apparently. If you look at the stickers on the bins, and those are stickers from vapes, from the uh, boxes they come in. Uh, so this is kind of the Bader Meinhof thing. Now that I've pointed it out to you, it's all you're going to see yeah. when you leave here. <laughs> Stickers on the bins. Um, I'll watch on the way back, and I'll text you just to confirm. It'll be a d- d- oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is that. Then we're getting really scientific uh, uh, with our survey. Um, vaping, though, I mean it. It has been a remarkable success for those companies, hasn't it? Like this, like as a, I know, we we kind of focus on the health issue here, um, Larry. But I mean, as a as a business story. And You're, that's a product.
2: I can only imagine the profits that must be made, but I mean, we can't escape either the, the litter factor, the environmental factor that, that accompanies that, and then there is the health factor, which I know people talk about, but we don't know exactly what we're dealing with. We can't gauge what the long-term impacts of long-term vaping are going to be. And that's really anybody's guess. I mean, all we can say for now it's better that they're doing that than smoking. But who knows what the science might tell us in 20 years? One of the
1: fascinating things about vaping, and I say this as someone who's now probably very boring and getting older and all the rest of it. But if you think about smoking and tobacco, there was a culture for decades where... Your granddad smoked a pipe or your father smoked cigarettes or Mm. whatever. And it always came from the older generation were doing it. And it was kind of a thing that adults were allowed to and young people weren't. Vapes have come from the opposite way. They started out as something Mm. that young people did instead of smoking. And they've gradually now crept up. I see more of my friends in their 30s and so on that have taken up vaping. Um, so it's come from the bottom up instead of the top down. It's just it's a
0: yeah. It's an interesting uh, observation, uh, Kevin. Thank you very much for joining us, Kevin Doyle, Group Head of News at Media. Has Larry Donnelly, Director of the Kennedy Summer School and a Law Lecture at the University of Galway. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan weekdays from four on News Talk.